welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete. I am known on Twitter as AFL Ratings Pete. Joining me as co-host is the man who has decked out his work workout area and West Coast memorabilia. This is a man that also sells his soul to attend grand finals. He formerly owned the <laughs> AFL Fantasy Rookie Space over at DT, DT Talk. Shout out to Warnie and the crew. And finally, as a fantasy coach, Nelly won the overall title back in 2015. You know him as Jepper DT. Uh, welcome to the show, Jep. Thanks, buddy. How are you? I'm quite all good. Had a relaxing uh, vacay in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, so that was all yeah. good for me. Good lad. Lucky you. Very much so. Um, was that introduction up to your high standards? Oh, yeah. I would think so. I'm, I'm in the room you speak of with all my West Coast memorabilia in the back room, as, well, as I call it, my gym room and my TV room, I suppose, movie room. And, um, yes, I did sell my soul to attend the best grand final ever in 2018. So glad I didn't miss it, that's for sure, and um, it was worth every penny. As painful as that was for me as a Collingwood supporter, um, it was good to see uh, some people have a good day, but for me it was actually quite painful. Yeah, you would have noticed I, uh, I didn't text you for about 24 hours. So, yeah, commiserations. Yeah, grand, finals are, grand final losses are hard to take, and, and as a Collingwood supporter I quite know... Uh, what they feel like. Yeah, I bet. That's true. Okay, uh, for the listeners out there, Jeff and I decided to do the podcast midway through the 2019 season. We were having significant conversations in our, on our Twitter DM, um, and we thought that we would bring those conversations out into the open and through a podcast. So, Jeb, uh, what are you most looking forward to for the upcoming 2020 AFL Fantasy season? Well, yeah, it's a bit of an intriguing one, isn't it? Um, how teams will line up. I, um, I've got one just mystery with being Fremantle, the Frio Dockers, and how they, they're going to see their best 22 line up for round one. Uh, Justin Longley has got his work cut out for him, that's for sure. And I, I reckon, in terms of AFL fantasy, there's probably about three or four rookie spots there. And, um, and then you've got to consider Andy Brayshaw and the load of um, Nat Fife and how how much he would dominate with, um, you know, the loss of Hill and, um, oh, what's his name? The other wingman, the runner that went to Melbourne. Come on, Pete, jump in any time. Langdon. Langdon, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, the Frio, I think, intrigued me a lot this year out of um, out of all the teams. Um, you've got the Gold Coast Suns as well, who are going to add two prize picks and how how Raul fits in, um, in the 22 and what his role is. Is he going to be a, the Sam Walter this year? Who knows? Um, probably won't be far off. Um, and then there's also, you know, Adelaide and there's probably one or two spots in that side. And, yeah, it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be interesting. I think there'll be um, – we'll, we'll all have our mid-prices again. Um, I think it'll be pretty tough to pick your guns and rook 22. Uh, this year uh, Jeff, or next year yeah, Jeff and I will be going through a few podcasts pre-season uh, we'll do a draft podcast in a couple of weeks um, and also uh, throughout the season we'll, uh, pre-season we'll go through some teams in transition those descending down the ladder and those ascending up the ladder and what what impact they'll have uh, from an AFL fantasy uh, pers- uh, perspective uh, but to kick off this podcast we're going to get, take a look back at the 2019 overall top 10 and what that what the winner overall winner did Craig last year to take out the title. So as we jump into it, uh, a few things obviously need to go right to win the overall fantasy uh, competition. Being a, being efficient at captain is quite important. Uh, the overall winner last season averaged 129.6 at the captain slot between rounds one to 17. Jeppa, what are your thoughts there? Um, somebody. Averaging 129.6 points. Does that does that read your memory and how you should approach this upcoming season in selecting captain, and also how, how do you utilise the loophole and do you accept the lower scores? Yeah, it's a phenomenal number. 129 average captain scores. So let's think about that. We, um, I personally settle for 110, quite comfortably. Sleep sleep like a log. So. To, um, to hear that number and to actually contemplate, you know, after 20, 
22 rounds, the yep. difference between was, 110 and, and yeah. 129, you know, it's almost 400 points. Well, so that was, that was rounds 1 to 17. Um, his average did fall off oh, to 100, 106 uh, between rounds 18 and 23. But obviously, to kick off the season, uh, for the first 17 rounds, the average 129 is uh, quite phenomenal. Yeah, look, I um, I that is phenomenal. That's that's actually incredible. So, um, I think with that, and one I am one to go for the overall rank is to um, change the strategy up a bit. Jeez, it's time to be, uh, become a little bit more risky, captain, and obviously not accepting those scores below 115. Um, he see Craig saves an average was 123.5 points. Um, he has scored he scored uh, 120 points or more was achieved in 52.2% of games. Jeez, like, again, that's, that's a pretty pretty impressive stat. So, look, I, yeah, like I said before, we've got to, well, I must change my attitude to this. Um, Craig also used the, uh, used the loophole captain option in eight of nine opportunities. He declined the um, option to use uh, VC in round one. Uh, there were no genuine options. So he uh, was forced to lock in a straight-up captain. And his captain in round one was Stephen Cornelio for 161 points. What a way to kick off a season, Jeff. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely going to put you in a good mood, doesn't it? For sure. Um, Craig also declined the loophole uh, using the VC loophole uh, to lock in a score um, in seven of eight opportunities. He was declining scores of 122 points in, in round four from Jake Lloyd. Um, wow. And he moved on to Brodie Grundy, who scored 153 points as captain. Um, looking back at my team, I did accept 122 points, but Craig didn't. He moved on to 153 points as captain. More power to him. That's uh, that's yeah, that's that's a, takes a lot of guts. <laughs> by, de- by declining his loophole options, he achieved a, a net result of 187 points over those seven of eight declined uh, loophole VC loophole opportunities. Yeah, that's that's gonna add up. It all adds up, doesn't it? I think when you when when you really think about it, um, obviously there are going to be f- some fails if you decline the, like 120 points as a VC. But if you get, if you can go no less than 50 percent poor result and good result, you're probably you net you net square. So obviously, True. obviously, if you're looking at ideal matchups, and one of the, one of those guys to look at for ideal matchups is is a rock. Uh, be it Grundy or Gorn. I mean, a hundred, they average one hundred twenty points. So that's probably expected in a expected more than that in a in a good matchup. Yeah, look it, again. It, I'm sure his his decisions are calculated, and um, like it's um, yeah, there'd be it, there'd be science behind the madness if that's even the term. But um, yeah, look, I um. I think it takes big guts to turn down 122 <laughs> as a captain. It was a VC score, and we're going to have much of the same in Thursday night games again. So, um, yeah, look, it's it's definitely food for thought because um, I think 95% of us, if not more, would would settle for for the 110, as I said before. And that's the edge. Is well, no, it's that's, definitely the that's the exact edge that uh, our listeners out there would be looking for is not accepting those scores and, yep. and taking the plunge and being part of the five percent and then for Mate. everyone everyone looking for for a bit of a difference over the course of the season is to find that extra opportunity at, at the captain spot. That's a and that's great analysis by you, Pete. That's you're right. You're a hundred percent right. What you know, a lot of these teams we all say, oh, every team's vanilla and all the rest of it. What separates you from your mates? What separates you from the majority? And that's definitely one of them. And um, yeah, great analysis, bud. I, um, you've changed my view. I've, I've, I was in the conservative ninety-five percent, uh, but that won't be me in twenty twenty. I'll be chasing the extra uh, way above one twenty scores. Yeah, it won't be me either. That's for sure. Um, one of the critical areas that Craig looked at over the um, this, his team looked at over the the course of the 2019 season um, was bench cover. Um, obviously, we need uh, a starting bench that, that that is in action from our rookies. Um, obviously, to generate revenue so we can upgrade to premium plays later in the year. Uh, but over the course of the year, 
uh, quite a common question is at what what stage do teams and what what's st- at what stage do winning teams start to drop off that D8 that M8 that F8 I mean at, at what point during the year so Throughout the, throughout the second half of the season, post buys, uh, Craig's team did become quite thin at bench. Um, he did use bench cover twice over that period. Um, he used it in round 16. Travis Boke uh, was a late withdrawal after warm-ups, so there's no there's no news throughout the week. He gets the warm-ups. He is a late withdrawal, running off the ground as pretty much as they're running through the banner at Port Adelaide. Um, he looked. Uh, he had Oliver Hanrahan for 74 points as bench cover. In round 21, he had Dustin Martin, who was a late withdrawal with no news throughout the week for anyone. Um, and again, Oliver Hanrahan locked in for 51 points. Just on the Dustin Martin issue there at round 21, the overall runner-up running to an absolute buzzsaw uh, with that late withdrawal. Obviously, again, there were no late, low, no news throughout the week uh, for any type of injury uh, for Dustin Martin. So the runner-up did move Dustin Martin into the midfield with no cover assuming that he was one of the good players to actually play, and unfortunately he was a late withdrawal. So getting towards the latter part of the season, at what stage would you start to feel comfortable, Jep, uh, running with no bench bench cover from week to week? Oh, look, it, 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 you obviously need to the cash generation first to, to fill out your side and get all, get hit all 22 primos, and I suppose straight after that, or um, in, in light of... You know, if you double downgrade, for example, with cash in bank, you can do it the week before you fill out. So probably then, um, and I think, I think you know, teams, there's rise and fall on the ladder and teams put their stars in cotton wool and give opportunities to youngsters, um, usually about Ren 17 onwards. So, yeah, probably about then, mate. Um, the buy structure was quite, quite uh, impressive from Craig's team. Um, over the three three week buy period, he did average twenty players. Uh, as I said, over those three weeks, um, his buy structure included twenty players in the first buy week, twenty one players at the second buy week, which is quite interesting because most people would have a max of twenty if they're rolling with the Gorn Grundy combo, and he yep. had nineteen players in the third week. Yeah, that that round twenty, uh, that, that mid buy round, just. Would have, he would have would have really set him up for that final part of the year and yeah he obviously had O'Brien or, or someone else I, I can't remember recall the rookie at the time or um, yeah and that was the difference you know that's polar opposite to me I struggled that mid by round quite a bit I think I barely scraped 18 together so um, and I ran with Grundy and Gorn you see so um, again it's um, they're, the, they're the, the, the calls where you're against the norm, against the majority, that really pro- propel you up up the rankings. The, um, Craig decided to start with Brody Grundy and get Todd Goldstein at, at the ruck combo at round one. Interesting. That created 130k in salary saving, fading Max Gorn. Uh, likely one of the most important decisions was for Craig was to move to Riley O'Brien due to the Sam Jacobs long-term injury from Goldstein at round three, who was potentially starting to struggle. It's, he didn't move to Max Gorn, so he, he doubled down on his salary savings and created a further 400k, 400K <laughs> in salary savings, which was spent elsewhere throughout his team. Yeah, that's, that is priceless. You know, that is amazing. So, look, I, I maintain that's a bit of luck. Um, no one knew that Laurie O'Brien was going to have the season that he did. Um, and, you know, it's, um, it's I think, Rory O'Brien, I can't remember what he averaged, but I'm pretty sure it's close to 90 for the season. And early on, he did pretty well. So, yeah, that's that's just, that's going to set you apart, isn't it, from, from the majority again. So, well, yeah, amazing. That's uh, great. O'Brien averaged uh, 91.9 points uh, between rounds 3 to 13, while Gorn averaged over that same period of time 118.4 points. So there's a difference there of 27 points per game. Uh, He he used... So he had a 530k in salary savings. So when you use the salary cap to 
to start the 2019 uh, AFL fantasy season, which was 12.8 million, uh, 530k was equivalent to 73 points. Yeah, so right. He, so he was able to use that 530k, put it on his field, um, but it was only costing him 20, 27 points, um, um, not having gone. But more importantly, when it came to the buy, buy round in round 13, with most people having gone and granny on, on a buy, uh, Riley O'Brien scored 146 points. Obviously, timing is everything. O'Brien was matched up against maybe Ochoal in only his second career game at the ruck position in round 13. Ivan Soldo was illness, did not play, and Toby Navikervis was uh, long-term injured and did not play. Obviously, timing is everything, but when you're looking at the buy structure, um, and uh, Craig had a cho choice to trade in Gorn at round 3 or 4, uh, due to the high scoring at that stage, but he, but he maintained an extra ruck over that buy period. Uh, for that second week of the buy period. Um, I think that was quite important, and obviously he ran into a, a prime-time match-up and scored 146 points. Uh, these are probably dreams uh, come true. Yeah, look, it, again, it's it's a strategy that has paid huge dividends. I mean, and from memory again, Melbourne and Collingwood have the buy in the same round this or next season, mm -hmm. um, next year, and... Um, you know, there'll be listeners out there, and me included, thinking, geez, maybe Gorn and and, um, and Grundy isn't the go. Maybe it is a Jacobs at GWS, and we'll see how he, he pans out and wh what he does. We, we all know he's going to be the number one ruckman um, at GWS next season, and um, or, you know, whoever else, whatever primos are, are available, um, Wits comes to mind as well, who... Is, is not too far behind the top two, so... I, I, guess, yeah. the, I guess the call the, is there, is it... Um, I mean, you've, you've got to fade... Well, you've got to fade Gorn and Grundy, and, and at this stage, the, 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 I won't be fading uh, Brody Grundy at round one unless there is some type of injury concern. Um, so it's pretty much running where they go Gorn for around the first half of the season. That's pretty scary. But when you consider you, get, you potentially can put some points on the board um, more than what you're losing... And and if the person you're selecting at Rock um, can get to that 95 points, 100 points, and if Gorn's only scoring 110 points, I mean you're pretty much probably in front. Not only that, when it comes to Gorn and Grundy being on a on a buy again at the same time, you've got that extra player. Well, in that round, and that's round 13, and I agree with you, Pete. Like the, the, there's potential for seven primos to be out if you if you lined it all up. So there's Carlton who's got the buy. So there's Crips. You got Collingwood, which could be Grundy and Trelaw. You got Frio, which is Fife. You got Melbourne, which is um, Gorn. You got Richmond, which is Dusty, and Sydney, which is Jake Lloyd. So there's seven primos potentially out in round 13, which is going to really, really hurt um, the balance over the buy rounds. So I think an in-depth thought process behind that is um, is pretty essential. No doubt throughout the pre-season we'll uh, attack some buy structure and come up with uh, some good structures to help the listeners out there. Uh, moving on to the, the, the um, midfield structure for Craig's winning team. Um, by round eight, he, he had eight premium players locked in. So he was completed in the midfield. He had traded out Sam Walsh at that time. Um, so at round eight for, for midfield, uh, is that something you'll be looking to do, complete your midfield early next year, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. That surprises me, though, to get to get Walsh out that early. Um, you know, I know Dersma was was flying in the back line and um, and Rosie as well. But um, yeah, to get get rid of Walsh, there might have been some currency and, and cash behind that. He probably could have afforded um, the primo that he wanted at the time with with Walsh's um, um, value, but. Um, yeah, look, obviously your midfield primos score the most, but for me, you, you gauge it on the rooks and, you know, your lowest average on the in the 22 and, and where you can improve first. It doesn't always necessarily equate to the midfield for me. Um, you just improve your team on a numbers basis over on an overall average. Um, you know, Jordan Clark last year did, did pretty well towards the middle and the latter part of the season. 
Um, but early on, he was getting 60s and 50-odds. So um, you want to get those kind of guys out, averaging the, below 60 and um, and improving your, um, your bottom line, so to speak. I think uh, when you think about it, um, and for defenders, defenders can believe, can uh, pretty much put up a flat average over a long period of time. So if you're trying to... I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I if, totally agree with that. If you're trying to put premiums as quickly as possible um, into midfield, and you have defenders only going at a flat average, i.e. Um, Rory Laird from last year, you weren't missing out that much. No, um, and, 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 and but in, in science terms of, of, you know, most of our listeners are pretty astute fantasy coaches. They're going to know that the midfielders and the forwards are the ones that average the most and the defenders can flatline. Um, <clears throat> other than Jake Lloyd and Whitfield, and they're probably the exceptions, um, there weren't a lot of primos that really hit the 120 score plus mm. um, too often. Yeah, they were... It, out of the midfield, they were in the forward line only, and it was pretty much only Whitfield who had a couple of injury spots throughout the year, and and Lloyd who actually just did fall away towards the latter part of the year as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know he got tagged a couple of times um, by the, the Suns, even I think. So um, yeah, look, it's um, it's yeah, fixing up your midfield or lining up your midfield when you can and when it's applicable. Um, but like I said, I, I look at it from a, an overall. So you sort of compare it's a two-player swing. So if it's, um, for example, Jordan Clark up to up to say Tom Stewart, um, that's a net gain of you know 25 average. Where if I got rid of um, Setterfield versus Dusty, that was a net gain of 32. So. Oh, you, you typically go with the, well. I typically go with the numbers and um, whatever gives us gives me the biggest game for the week um, and the long term is, is how I usually attack trades. Um, and after again listening to to your captain's step earlier, I think I've got to spend more time or as much more well, the same time on my trade planning than I do my captain planning. I'm I'm notorious, Pete, for um, you know, ninety percent trade planning, and then just look at the captain and just sort of gauge it. Just you know, an hour before lockout. So um, I'm going to be changing that strategy this year. That's for sure. Um, it's about putting points on the field and putting points on the field ASAP. Uh, absolutely. Um, back to Craig's team. Uh, over the three-week buy period, um, he did reduce his uh, mid premium midfielders to seven. At round 13, his uh, forward positions were, f- were full of premiums. So round 13, he was f- uh, completed uh, in the forward line, and his team was completely filled with premiums, was, which was quite late at round 19. And But that was the defensive part of the ground that was um, the late to be upgraded. And once again, if you've got flat, flat averaging players, um, it's not necessarily to get them ASAP. I think I traded in Rory Laird. Uh, midway through the year, um, he he probably could have come in late uh, towards the late part of the year. Yeah, yeah. Again, it goes with the theory, doesn't it? So that's great intel, again, Pete. So listeners out there, let's um, let's look to sort of slot in our backline at, at later parts of the year. Um, Tom Rockleaf was a uh, was a part of uh, Craig's winning team. Um, he did identify quite often as a captain. Uh, one of those was trading Rocky back in at around 16, and he selected him as straight in as a captain for 150 points. Uh, there's a ro- there's a Rocky <laughs> fan, and he did pay off handsomely. It's pretty handy, isn't it? Uh, the final uh, the final round trade round decision to bring in Jeremy Cameron was obviously the ultimate decider. Cameron was chasing the narrative of a Coleman medal win and he was in an optimal matchup against Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium. Cameron kicked nine goals for 154 points. I remember back in remember back uh, four years ago when we were, di- we were discussing um, your final trade chasing overall total depth. <laughs> what, I do. Was this the Nick, Nick, Rewa- Nick Rewald 200-point game and we decided <laughs> not to go down that round? Yeah, I, uh, that, was the, that was the exact game. And um, so going into the last round, I was sixth. Then I... Wasn't, oh, I can't remember what I was off the, the first place, but I was I know I was aiming for second or third. 
I knew first place was probably out of out of reach. Yep. And um, so definitely went left field and, and traded out Dangerfield. And I can't remember who I traded him to. It escapes me, but. Uh, <laughs> I remember you texting me when um, Danger got a stinger on the shoulder and he went off the field, and um, and that was in the halfway through the first quarter, and I was absolutely jumping for joy. But the the tough bugger went back on the field and still turned up. So it, uh, in in theory, and the risk, um, you know, this, there was there was theory behind the madness, um, but uh, yeah, it didn't pay off. But these are the things you do, and like to. To the winner of fantasy last year, that is one an educated um, guess and fantastic work by him. He is a very worthy winner, um, and I'm more power to him. I I would like to think I would have done the same in his spot, but I just no, I just I don't know if I could have. Um, yeah, it's um, that takes big kahunas. Yeah, Craig, Craig actually spoke to Warney, uh, Cal and Roy on the um, official AFL Fantasy podcast at the end of the season and he and he went through his um, a few key decisions which I mentioned earlier. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to that episode and, and listen to see, uh, to listen to how he did it and his thoughts behind some decisions, uh, it's actually a pretty good listen. Uh, moving, moving along to the 2019 overall top 10. Um, the top 10 uh, started an average of 1.5 premium players at round 1. Jake Lloyd was selected by all teams and only 5 teams started with Lockie Whitfield. I was one that started both. Jeppe, you didn't start any. No, I, um, I've got a bit of egg on my face, mate. It still haunts me. I, I went very thin in my back line this year. Um, no primos. Two, two uh, mid-prices in Brody Smith and Zach Williams. And then, and then you know, Jordan Ridley, I suppose, class or ticked over as a, as a mid price at the time. And then Jordan Clark, Dersmer, and Scrimshaw with Marty Hall on the bench. And I just had, I went really loaded in the midfield. I had, uh, what is it, five primos plus Brad Crouch, then Walsh and Brad Scott. But then I had Constable, who did really well in the early rounds of the year, um, on my bench and not. That wasn't equating to points on, on my field, so that stung a lot. And I had a bit of um, a few hours um, in fantasy research on the weekend, and um, I'm definitely looking at a more balanced starting team just to uh, start 2020 in. That's for sure. I think that those early that early setup, I, I never recovered from it. I was always chasing tail, trying to balance out my team and and, and maximize my um my overall points and um yeah with trades i was i was chasing tail plus andy uh, angus brayshaw's um you know lack lack of form and uh other injuries that um that escaped me i think i traded out heaney as well early on the rounds he just pissed me right off the wall so he's on my never again list yeah we've all got a few of those players um Interestingly, though, injuries do define an AFL fantasy season pretty much for all coaches. Uh, Whitfield averaged 126.4 points between between rounds 1 to 6 before Leon came this high to put him in forward line and got a severe corky. It would have been quite interesting to see uh, how many people uh, would have... Uh, um, made some pretty tough decisions to try and get Whitfield in because he wasn't going to stop averaging 126.4 points. And obviously when he returned from injury, I think he, he snuck up at around 180, 190 points. So it would have been, for those who started Whitfield, his injury um, was bad timing. Uh, for those who were chasing Whitfield, uh, you were able to get him. Yeah, look, it, the I'm speaking firsthand and not having him. It was killing, killing me. Killing me every week. So, um, again... A more balanced. Obviously, you paid for it at the start, dollars-wise, and um, but it you know it equated to, to high points. And there's a lot of word <clears throat> that Whitfield will be a forward mid this season or in 2020. So um, yeah, that'll be a pretty pretty much a lock in most teams. Auto select there for me, I believe. Um, the the overall top ten uh, averaged 2.8 mid price players in the defensive part of the ground at round one. 
all teams started with Brody Smith and Zach Williams. So mid price a dirty word, but all top ten teams started with Brody Smith and Zach Williams, Jeb. Yeah, look, I, like I said earlier, I um, I think our our mid prices this year or into twenty twenty are going to be um, pretty pretty pro- prominent. Um, having can rookies playing consistent consistently is um, not going to happen. You know, we were blessed having Rosie and Dersma in one side every week and. Port Adelaide playing the kids and had Butters and Drew in that discussion as well. And then, oh, who else was there? It was Scrimshaw and um, other, other um, we had Setterfield, Sam Walsh, of course. So I don't know, and I hope we do get blessed with, with the prolific rookies and um, those that um, cement their spot in, the, in, the, in their respective teams 22, but... Um, like I normally at the start of the season or around this time this year, every year before the draft, I um I look at the best twenty five um for each team and um that's where you know looking at Frio's list really intrigued me because they're probably one team that will start two or three rooks um, just because they're lacking midfield depth at the moment. Um, Adelaide was the other one. I thought there was one or two spots there. And, um, you know, Nick's can go a certain way of style of play. And I don't know if he's going to go a running game or a defensive game. It's um, it's it's out in the open. Essen is probably another one that's probably going to start one or two rooks. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of intriguing sort of scenarios. So mid-prices, start put them on your watch lists, I reckon. Absolutely. Uh, just finishing off the overall top 10 defensive part, uh, an average of 3.7 rookies were selected at round one. Moving on to the midfielders, uh, an average of 4.0 players, premium players were selected at round one. An average of 2.3 mid-price players were selected at round one. Brad Crouch was selected in all teams. An average of 4.0 rookies were selected at round one. All teams started with Sam Walsh. He was an automatic selection for most... Most players, coaches last year, Jeb, at 270k, um, and averaging uh, well above 80 into the 90s. Um, is this something that we're looking for from Rail this year? And if you, if you believe that he can average well above 70 and 80 points, are you happy to spend this 270k again? Look, I don't think Rail will be as um, dominant as Walsh was. Um, I think Walsh had a really good role within the Carlton 22, um, especially early on with the Brendan Bolton days. Um, I think Rao will struggle with um, with the lack of, you know, dominant midfielders around him, if that's a word. I know Carlton's not... Carlton have Patrick Cripps, obviously, and then sort of tapers down from that pretty quickly. But, um, you know, Cripps is getting the hardball. The amount of times we saw him feed it out to Walsh... Um, was was a lot. So I think Rao, again, if there's a lack of rookie options available, I think he'll be pretty um, pretty common pick, but I wouldn't expect him to be um, as good as Walsh, but that doesn't that shouldn't deter you from selecting him anyway because I think Walsh was just exceptional. I guess I guess when you look at uh, a high draft pick, if you're going to spend upwards of the equivalent of 270k in salary, so what you'll be looking for as a fantasy coach is opportunity. Uh, Carlton was still in a in a developing stage under Brent Bolton at that stage. I mean, early part of the year, we had Ed Kerno playing forward, so they were throwing players in there with opportunity. Sam Walsh was one of those. Um, he stuck out on the wing. And during the Marsh Cup, formerly known as the JLT Series, uh, he was racking up mid mid twenty to high twenty disposals, and two hundred and seventy k. He was pretty much an automatic selection. Uh, unfortunately for those who didn't didn't um, select Walsh at uh, round one, they missed out big time. Yeah, they did. Um, and again, they would have probably traded him in the later part of the year, maybe um, in the later rounds two rounds two, three, or four. Um, but you've got Marlon Pickett for Richmond as well, which is he's going to be pretty cheap. But the downside of that is he's going to be in everyone's team. So it just um, makes it a little bit more vanilla. Um, but like I said, Pickett aside, I think it's going to be pretty tough rookie-wise this year. 
Uh, moving on to the rucks, an average of 1.9 premium players were selected at round one. Three of ten teams only started with the Grundy and Gorn combo. So top ten, three of ten teams, Jep, only started with Gorn and Gorn and Grundy. There you go. The numbers speak for themselves, don't they? That's thirty percent. Yeah, the most popular ruck combo in round one was Grundy and Goldstein. I had Goldstein, unfortunately that didn't work out for me. Uh, five teams opted for that 130k in salary saving, and obviously to put those points on the field somewhere else. Uh, Brody Grundy was selected uh, by all top 10 teams at round one. At round four, when things started to go awry for those second, that secondary ruck, a total of seven teams moved to the Grundy and Gorn combo. So they pretty much ignored the um, the upcoming buy, uh, which Craig obviously we referred to earlier in the podcast. He maintained that buy structure, and obviously got the handsome payoff with a with a obviously a prime time score from Rolly O'Brien. Uh, three of the top six teams did not trade Gorn in until round fourteen. So that's post the that was post the Melbourne round thirteen buy. And three of the so there's fifty percent of the top six maintain their buy structure, Jeff. Yeah, that's it's good discipline. More power to them. I um I'm not one of them, and I need to get better. Yep. It's just it's just it's a matter of just digging in and, and accepting you're going to be losing points from that Gorn situation yeah. and, and a potential potential captain option in some matchups, and obviously finding those points on the field somewhere else. And when you consider that most people were starting with Gorn in uh, Grundy last year, uh, and obviously the the O'Brien was a was a diamond in a rough. But when you when you consider that you've got a differing player there, and 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 the, and you count the buy structure in there, uh, you actually he was Craig and and some of the guys in the top ten were on a pretty good wicket. Yeah, look, it's um, it would have really propelled them all. I um. Look, yeah, I'm. Those numbers are fantastic, Pete, and um, I've really got to. I'm not one to really look at the buy structure a lot um, prior to the round one lockout, but uh, uh, these are the little things that um, prepare you up. So I'll be planning it out and sticking to the plan. That's for sure. Yeah, for what it's worth, I, I believe I will be fading Gorn at uh, this stage, come round one, unless Grundy has an injury concern there. Uh, it's likely that I won't be starting with Gorn um, to maintain yeah, it, maintain what I believe would likely be a better buy structure. Yep, yeah, I I agree with you. And looking at um, you know, not that round one means much, but you know, Collingwood play the Bulldogs. You'd think Grundy would have a field day against Tim English. Um, although Timmy will be bigger and stronger after another preseason, I'd still you'd still back in Grundy for a massive one in that in that game. Uh, moving on to the forwards of the top 10, an average of 2.7 premium players were selected at round one. All, t- all teams started with Patrick Dangerfield. Only two teams started with Travis Bogue. After all that talk in the preseason last year that he was going to play midfield, he did actually play midfield and his numbers were big. Only two teams in the top 10 started with Travis Bogue. Crazy. It's um, not something I did. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, um, he blitzed it, didn't he? That was that was unreal. Uh, an average of one point uh, zero mid prices were selected at round one. Eighteen started with James Warple. He came in at four hundred eighty k, so he was a straight in that mid price slot. Um, I did start with Warple. I believe you did too, Jeb. Um, I did. These are the type of players that we are looking at in the mid price range that have opportunity. Obviously, Tom Mitchell went down with an injury. And Warple yep. had played in the midfield in the preseason in practice games through the Mar- through the JRT series, which is now the Marsh Cup, and obviously into round one. So those who did select Warple uh, got the handsome payoff. Yeah, no, it's, he was one of my better picks of the year, as for many. Uh, an average of four point three rookies uh, was selected at round one by the to- uh, overall top ten. So it was an area of the ground where uh, rookies were quite heavy, and, and all the teams started with Will Setterfield. So he, obviously he was far too cheap to ignore. He came in at 251k. Uh, just to run through all the starting salary classifications that I put him into, uh, premium play was 600k plus, mid price was 300 to 599k, and a rookie was classified at 170 to 299k. 
Um, looking back at the overall top 10 uh, by position, uh, premium defenders were an average of owned by 1.5, mid prices were 2.8, and rookie defenders owned by an average of 3.7. Moving on to the midfielders, premiums were 4.0, mid prices were 2.3, rookies were 3.7. Moving on to the rucks, it uh, was 1.9, so that's, that's the... Uh, most premiums, I think the the point one there, the mid price, I think was Tim English. Uh, that somebody in the top ten oh, yeah. with Tim English, and obviously yep. most people would roll with uh, two point zero rookies in their ruck bench. Uh, premium forwards, an average for the overall top ten was two point seven premiums for the forwards. Uh, mid mid prices were one point zero, which was uh, pretty much Warple, and again rookies were heavy at four point three. Um, to start the season around one last year. So it's a, it's a bit of a look back at the structure and what the overall top 10 did last year to begin the season. Yeah, look, it's um, it's good insight. Good insight and in how um, yeah, your initial team set up means so much for the, for, um, the overall rank as you, as you get down the line. Um, one of the common questions over the course of a season is how, how much do you leave on the table? So how much do you leave... In the, in the bank to begin round one. Uh, the top 10 left an average of 20.5k at round one. The lowest was 1k and the highest was 73,000. The overall winner, Craig, he had 13k spare at round one. Is this something that you look to do at, at round one, Chip, to be a little bit unique compared to everyone else, having a little bit more in the bank? No, I'm notorious for spending, maximising my spend and, um, and this year will be no exception because of some of the cheaper primos that are available, I, like I had a good look at potential setups and, and how I started last year and with discounted primos in Doherty, Devin Smith and Titch, I think we can squeeze in 12 primos potentially. Um, obviously, it depends on the Rook situation and 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 how pre-season, um, who puts their hand up, but... Um, no, I'm notorious for spending every dollar prior to round one lockout. Um, yeah, looking at the buy period and the, the scores that were put up by the overall top 10, um, they averaged uh, 2,007.5 points over the buy period. The top two teams averaged 2,050.8 points. Uh, for reference, uh, my team scored 19, averaged uh, 1956. So over the buy period, when obviously when things are starting to go wrong, you're losing significant points. Over the th- over that three week buy period, I lost an average of just under a hundred points per week. It's massive, isn't it? Like it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's really is huge. So, uh, nineteen fifty six yeah. points as an average is, was nothing to be sneezed at either. But obviously, when you're uh, ranking quite highly, um, you're actually as every week goes by, you're just smashing every other team. Yeah, it's it's over three rounds too, so. Um... Yeah, look, it's um, it's interesting. Uh, looking back at our um, our structures, how we decided our structures uh, for the 2019 season, and in important team build decisions and mistakes. Uh, how did you think your structure started at 2019, and what process uh, did you use last year, and what process will you use for this upcoming season? So yeah, like I said, I um, I had a really unbalanced structure um, from defence through to midfield and forward and rucks, and I had touched on it before. I, I will go very balanced. Um, I'm probably looking at, uh, and again, it totally depends on the mid price situation. But three promos in defence, four in the mids. Um, I'll probably start two primo ruck and three in the forward line. Um, We've got Pickett, who's locked for a starting 22 spot. Rao's probably not far away. Tom Cutler probably intrigues me a little bit, and Wyerson went after him in late in the trade period. Um, and hopefully he gets sort of defender status. He had midfield status throughout 2019 only. Um, then there's also Connor Blakely and what Justin Longmere does with him and He's probably one of those cheaper premiums that could really, with a new role, accelerate his average up 10, 10 points a game. So, um, And then losing Tim Kelly, Geelong really could throw Selwood, Joel Selwood back in the midfield like they did in 
during the finals and I think the last round of the season from memory. Um, and he had an instant impact for obvious reasons. He's he's no mug, but can he play there um, all 22 games next year in 2020? Who knows? Probably unlikely. So there are a few names I'm looking at, but overall structure, def, moral, moral of the... Um, well, my current sort of planning is just pick a balanced, balanced team. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, my structure last year, I decided to go uh, a little bit thinner at the ruck position. Um, all summer I had Grundy and Wits as starting um, R1 and R2. Uh, eventually I started, started with uh, Sam Jacobs and Todd, Todd Goldstein. Now that was on the back of me looking at all the rookies, uh, looking where the rookies would, would slot and play and where I would be thin on the ground. Um, I needed the extra cash, so I downgraded at those positions in order to get up to Warple and a few others um, in order to spend up for Whitfield uh, to make sure that I had uh, Whitfield rather than um, be against the grain because I'd, I'd forecast him to be a high average. That did work. Unfortunately, he did get, did get injured. Um, but uh, my mistake, uh, I believe, was uh, getting on to Jacobs and Goldstein to start of the season is that there were two trades upcoming for me that were locked in throughout the year. I think just having the one trade to upgrade eventually would be uh, Max Gorn uh, would be probably likely more optimal. So I may look to get a little bit cheaper at Ruck this year. And that's potentially going down to a player like uh, English, or maybe even a little bit further down. Yes, I'm losing points with Max Gorn, but I want that buy structure in place. And I want to put those points on the ground, as opposed to most other people who potentially will start with Gorn and Grundy again. Yep, no, that's reasonable. Look, I, I don't think anyone should cancel out Jacobs. Playing five games in 2019, I don't know what his discount will be. He did, um, I'm pretty sure his average was around 80, well, it would have been about 80 plus. So he's still going to be expensive. Um, but Giants do have the round 14 buy, the last buy round. So um, there you go. So Jacob's averaged 80 in his five games. So what discount they they give him at the 80 mark, um, you know, at the Giants... I'm expecting 90s, um, 90-odd. So if we think Gorn's going to average 110, we're sacrificing 20 points like Craig did earlier on this season. Um, and the sort of, yeah, you have that um, that extra cash to splurge and, and effectively balance your team a bit better. So Jacobs is could be one of everyone's mid-prices that they're potentially going to pick. I guess um, moving on to the upcoming 2020 season, uh, what process will you um, include uh, over the summer and how will you go about building your team? So obviously completing pre-season is, is pretty big these days. Um, for all players, I think, um, you know, keeping an eye on rookies and the drafts is on Wednesday and how, who goes where is, is a big issue. Um you know, it's it's no good having, um, say, Devin Robinson go to someone like Geelong where, you know, he's going to probably have a year or two of development before he gets a gig or versus, you know, Frio picking him up in the first round, earlier in the first round, and he probably slots straight in the 22. So, um, yeah, just keeping tabs on all, all players, broadening the watch list, not just having a watch list with names but having notes along it um you know most diehards like myself have their spreadsheets that gets a bit convoluted with with notes and the like so yeah it's um i think families will open at the end of january and everyone will get excited and start playing with structure and how their pre-planning has sort of worked and how it sort of fits but um yeah, typically keep an eye on rooks to start with and then um, the primos sort of fall into place at the end. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I over the pre-season, I keep an open mind to everything. Um, obviously, we do um, 
some rookie research, both you and I. And obviously we we check on uh, pre-season injuries and news. Um, just on the news uh, scenario, um, it's okay in an article where a player wants to play more midfield time. It's okay for an, uh, for a journalist to, to pump out that certain players potentially could have more midfield time. Uh, but what's more important is that we need to listen to assistant coaches and coaches once they start spooking that a, a player can impact into that midfield, they're the, that is the type of news that we need to take note of. Um, everyone wants to play midfield. That's, that's the premium part of the ground there, the whole disposal numbers. It's tough to impact um, centre, bounce, centre bounce attendances, uh, especially when you've got a core group in there already. And if you're an, an experienced team, it's very hard to break into those centre bounce attendances. So... Um, We'll look at uh, podcasts in the future when we, we start to discuss these type of scenarios and what teams and what opportunities lay ahead for, for certain players. Um, and obviously, our next pod- podcast, we'll be discussing the draft. Um, Jeppa will go through his rookies, and I will do my post-draft analysis looking at landing spots for all players. Do you have any thoughts on the upcoming draft, Jep? Um, yeah, look, I, I don't really pay too much attention prior to the drafts. You know, it's a lot of his speculation and I would love to, you know, be a recruiter, obviously, and, and work in the four walls of a football club and how they approach the draft. Um, but like I said earlier, it's, um, you know, there's there's the top 15 players this year look to be pretty primed for AFL action at some point this season. As fantasy coaches, we're going to have to spend up big. Um, there'll be diamonds in the rough and guys that missed out last year or, you know, come back from injury and, you know, those cheaper players that, um, that we need to look at. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think the draft will sort of fall into place as it happens and once it's over and we do our analysis, that's where... Um, we'll see where we, where the opportunities lie for some of these youngsters. Absolutely. Um, just on that note, uh, we'll wrap up our first ever episode of the Plus Six, Plus Six podcast, Jeb. Uh, like to thank listeners for tuning in for our first episode. Uh, once again, we'll be uh, onto the draft uh, post Wednesday and looking at landing spots. So you can uh, look out for that uh, podcast in the near future, probably around about two to three week mark. Um, And once again, thanks for listening. Uh, Enjoy your day. Thanks, everyone.